Genesis chapter 17. That's where we get to hang out this morning. Now, at the end of service today, I will give you a treat. And for most of you, it will be something you will enjoy. How many of you believe me? All right. That's good. That's good. I like that. Okay. All right. Hang on to that, okay? Just, just let that simmer there for a little bit. Our series that we're going through is called The Step of Yes. Uh, and we've been going back and looking at different characters in the Old Testament that God has called or asked to do something. And then we look at their response. So God is the one that's doing the initiating, and God is the one that's doing the moving. And it's up to, it's up to us to respond. And this morning, uh, we're going to be taking a look at Sarah. It's, it's almost kind of like part three of our, of our Abraham set. You know, Dave talked the last two weeks about Abraham, and now we're uh, going to be talking about his wife, Sarah. Many of you know the story of Sarah, but I'm excited just to get into it and dialogue about it together. But before I do, let me pray and just ask God once again to just come in and bless this time. Lord, this morning is yours, and, and we want to rid ourselves of distractions, rid ourselves of whatever may be preventing us from hearing from you this morning. God, we desire your words today. We desire that you speak directly into our hearts. God, use me. God, I want your words to be heard so much more clearly than mine this morning. And God, just help us take whatever's been going on this week, the challenges, the trials, the frustrations, the joys, the sorrows, everything in between, and God, just let us bring it here and and give it to you with open arms this morning as we sit and as we listen and as we continue to worship as we look at your word. Be with us this morning. Amen. So, Genesis, and we're going to be hanging out in chapters 17 and 18. Talking about Sarah. And like I mentioned, uh, God initiates and we respond. That's what our whole series is about. God initiating and us responding. This was uh, drawn by Lindsay Cummins and is just a fantastic picture. So, you can kind of almost plop yourself down into what's going on in the ancient Middle East. And we pick up in verse 15 of chapter 17 of Genesis. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I'm going to pause there for a second. Because God initiates in a few different ways in this passage. And the first way that God initiates is is he initiates with a new identity. With a new identity. If you've got a sheet to fill in, uh, that's your first blank fill-in. But God initiates with a new identity. He gives uh, Sarah a new name. Now, earlier in the chapter, he gives Abram a new name, Abraham. And uh, there's one letter that's in in Hebrew, that's added to Abram's name to make him Abraham. And interestingly enough, the same letter that's added to Abraham's name, or that's added to Abraham, 
Abram's name to make him Abraham, boy, that's a good tongue twister, uh, is also added to Sarai's name to make her Sarah. The same letter. Now, Abram, we know, uh, means exalted father. And Abraham means father of a multitude. So as his name is changed, it's also a change in identity to say, look, okay, you're, you're not just going to be a father, Abram, but you're going to be the father of a multitude, which we know from Genesis 12, God promised uh, to Abram a long time ago and said, look, I'm going to make you the father of this great nation. Look at the stars. Look at the sand. You can't count them. You're going to have more descendants than that. You know, he's put out this promise and said that this is happening. And now he comes along, God comes along and says, I'm going to give you a new name to reflect that change that's going to happen in your life. Now, what about a Sarai to Sarah? Many of your Bibles will have a note that says in there that Sarai and Sarah both mean princess, which is true. But if you do a little bit more digging, Sarai means my princess, whereas Sarah means a princess. So Sarai means my princess in that this is the princess over this dominion or this area or, you know, kind of localized, calling out a princess to a certain group or region or whatever. My princess. This is my princess. You may have your princess. This one's mine. Whereas Sarah means a princess. So you kind of get that same idea that she's over a multitude. And we're going to get more into that, but, but I think it's neat just to get a little bit deeper into the names and, and, and why God gave her that name and, and said, you know, we're going to step you up here. We're going to upgrade you in a sense. Now, people may say, what's in a name? But I think names totally communicate something, right? People would love driving a, a Mustang, right? This wild, untamable stallion, this, you know, awesome military plane is now a car? Awesome. I got to get me one of those. I got to drive me a Mustang or a, a Shelby Cobra or a Corvette. But, but, but who wants to drive a probe or a Yugo or a Gremlin? What's in a name? I think a lot comes in a name, right? And I'm sorry if you've driven one of those cars. I'm not trying to step on any toes. Now, an interesting one that, as I was doing some really important research about the names of cars, one that was tossed out that I hadn't thought about before, Hummer. Now, you, you think about a Hummer and you go, now that's a beastly car, and it is. But think about the name. Hummer. Hmm, <laughs> I'm driving this huge car, driving over everything. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they just don't fit, you know? And someone was totally ragging on the name, like, they couldn't have come up with something better. Now it comes from, you know, Humvee, and there was this military vehicle and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I think a name really, like, does something. You know, you're told that this is the name of something, and, and, it, and it gives you an idea about what the thing is. Now, uh, a couple times in the Bible, God hands out new names. And as he does that, he also gives a new identity. With a new name comes a new identity. Like we talked about, Abram to Abraham. I'm sure something switched in Abram's mind when he was told, you're, you're no longer Abram, but now you're Abraham. 
You're the father of a multitude. You know, and here, Abram had been waiting for all these years. God, when are you going to fulfill your promise? When are you going to come through on this? When are you going to do what you've said you're going to do? And after a long time of waiting, God shows up and says, all right, time for a new name. I'm sure Abraham's going, okay, that means a kid's got to be coming soon. I'm getting excited now. Sarai to Sarah. I'm sure something switched in her head. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. And it says, when, when God changes his name, he says, your name shall be Israel because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. How about this one? Simon to Peter. You'll be called Peter because on this rock I will build my church. See, that one I, I love because we know as we continue to read in the Gospels that Peter isn't a rock. He's not. He's, he's spineless. He uh, wavers back and forth. You know, in one passage, he's, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, and then soon after, Jesus is turning around and saying, get behind me, Satan, because he's trying to keep Jesus from the cross. And I mean, just everything's going back and forth with Peter. But Jesus ascribes a name to him and says, you are rock because I'm going to build my church on you. Even before he is that way, Jesus says, this is who you are going to be. There's a couple other name changes that I thought were interesting to point out as well. These were not uh, changed by God, but by other people. Naomi, in the book of Ruth, changes her name to, to Mara, which, as many of you know, Mara means bitter. And, and she changed her name to Mara because she had lost her husband, she had lost both of her sons, she felt like God was giving her the short end of the stick. You know, she just was, felt very bitter. But do you know what Naomi means? Naomi means pleasant. And what's interesting is as you look through the rest of the book of Ruth, like no one calls her Mara. They call her Naomi, saying, no, 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 this is who you are. You're pleasant. You're Naomi. And uh, my namesake, Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, didn't start out as Benjamin. But rather his mother named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. It was a very painful childbirth, and she ended up dying in childbirth. Jacob didn't want his uh, son remembered that way, and so he changed his name to son of my right hand, Benjamin. So back to Sarai, now Sarah. She's given a new identity. God initiates, and his first step with Sarah is giving her a new identity. She's given the identity of a matriarch. Next, uh, God initiates with a promise. So we're going to take a look at the rest of this passage and see the promise that's given. Genesis chapter 17, uh, we just read 15, your name shall be Sarah, verse 16, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. 
He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, Abraham was also told about the covenant of circumcision. So right after that, he goes and circumcises everybody. And then, as Dave preached on last week, got these visitors showing up. And Abraham's really excited to see these people. And he rushes in and and tells Sarah, hey, get get cooking some stuff. Uh, We got some visitors here. And we pick up in verse 9 to hear what these people are doing here. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) Yeah, God knows. Now, hopefully, that felt a little repetitive to you, and it should have. Five times in that passage, God says, Sarah is going to have a son. Five times. Verse 16. I will give you a son by her of chapter 17. I will give you a son by her. We've got it again in verse 19. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. We've got it in verse 21 of chapter 17. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And finally, verse 14, at the appointed time, I will return to you and about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Got it, Abraham? Paying attention? Got it, Sarah? You are going to have a son. And I love that he's clear here because we've got this whole story with Ishmael and, and Sarah saying, look, I know, Abraham, that God promised you to be a father of many nations. I'm getting old. You know, we've been trying. We just haven't been able to have a kid. Here's Hagar and have a kid with her. And so Ishmael is brought onto the scene. And Sarah's trying to take over and saying, I'll take care of this. But God shows up and is very clear here and multiple times and, and corrects Abraham. As Abraham's even asking about Ishmael, God says, no, no, no. It's through Sarah. Let me make this crystal clear so that you get it. Through Sarah you will have a son. Now, Sarah's given a verbal promise. Wouldn't it be nice if we got verbal promises sometimes from the Lord? God shows up and says audibly to you, to me, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do for you. But we don't, we don't get that, unfortunately. And not, not often, at least. But even, even though it's in person, you know, God is here presently, and saying this to Abraham and with Sarah in earshot, he says it five times still. I know I'm standing right here. I know I'm saying this to you, but I want to make sure that you catch this promise. Now, do you guys uh, remember my promise that I mentioned from the beginning? How many of you still believe me? At the end of service, 
You, I will give you a treat. For most of you, it'll be something you enjoy. All right. Less of you believe me now. And that's okay. Now, these promises, sure, we don't get God's audible voice. But that's where Scripture comes in. And we get plenty of promises from God. And I think it's important, just as Abraham and Sarah were reminded over and over and over of God's promise. That's why diving into your Bible and continuing to read and continuing to soak in His words is so important for you to remember God's promises to you and to me. This isn't something that should go on a bucket list that, woohoo, I read my Bible once, but rather something that you should continue to come back to over and over and over again. The Bible is chock full of promises. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you rest, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. I will by no means cast out the one who comes to me. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will be with you. I will save you. I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. I will contend with him who contends with you. I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. I will give peace. I will bless you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is just a small drop in the bucket of the promises of God, of what He has told us time and time again. Do you believe it? Sometimes He gives us some difficult promises as well. I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. I love that that one's in there. Because I think some people get this wrong idea of Christianity that when you come to Jesus, that, you know, life is sunshine and rainbows. Everything's fantastic. I think a couple of you can attest that that's not the case. Maybe? I know I can. But see, God's willing to be faithful. God's willing to give us what we need. I'm glad that God corrects me. I'm glad that he punishes me so that I learn. So God initiates with a promise. God initiates with a new identity for Sarah. And finally, God initiates with a question. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Here, Sarah overhears. (laughs) I'm going to have a kid. Right. I'm 90. I'm going to have a kid. And verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think kind of looking from the outside at this question, it's an easy one to answer. Come on, Sarah. You should know the answer is, of course, nothing's too hard for the Lord. This is an easy question, Sarah. Of course you're going to have a son. But that's easy for us because we know the end. And I think it's easy for us 
to answer this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. When there's money in the bank, when things are going well, when you've got a stable job, when life is just flying right along and everything's great. But this question all of a sudden becomes more difficult to answer when there isn't money in the bank, when you don't know if you're going to make your mortgage payment, when loved ones start getting sick, passing away. All of a sudden, doubt starts creeping in, and it becomes more difficult to believe. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a tough one sometimes. Well, let's take a look at some responses. God initiates. He comes. He shows up. He says, Sarah, you've got a new identity. Sarah, let me make you a promise. You're going to be a matriarch. You're going to be the mother of countless. Sarah, is anything too hard for me? Let's take a look at how she responds. But before that, let's take a look at how Abraham responded. Did he believe? Yeah. Don't forget my promise. Okay? At the end of service today, I'm going to give you a treat. And for most of you, it'll be something you'll enjoy. Still believe me? All right. Some of you. All right. That's okay. Great. Excellent. Genesis 17, 17. Here's Abraham's response. God tosses out this promise. Take a look at how Abraham responds. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Wait, didn't Sarah get scolded for laughing? Yeah, she sure did. Abraham laughed too. He said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? See, I think what's going on here is not a laughter of disbelief, but rather a laughter of wonder. Are you kidding me? No way. Really, God? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just the other day, we were watching AFV. Micah loves AFV. This, uh, this girl is opening a Christmas present, and inside is a, a kitten. And her response is just great. She's like, no way, no way. And like three or four times she says, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Is this real? Like she just can't believe it. It's not that she doubts that this is real. She's just in that much awe and wonder and excitement over something. And I think we have the same thing here with Abraham. God, I've been waiting for a long time. And now you're showing up and telling me, a year from now, I'm going to be a dad. A year from now, Sarah's going to have a kid. There's wonder. I think what's neat, too, is that within that, he responds by asking, uh, God, what about, what about Ishmael? Are you going to take care of him, too? He's told, yeah, I'll take care of him. Keep your finger in Genesis 17 and flip over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we'll pick up in verse 18. We get a little bit more of a window into Abraham. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. See, Abraham was fully convinced. He had no doubts. He believed. Now, how did Sarah respond? Again, we know uh, back in Genesis, you can flip back to Genesis. Lord said, I will surely return to you. 
About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I'm in 18, verse 10. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. She laughs, but her laugh is out of disbelief. She doesn't believe. And we'll get into a little bit of why in a minute here. But I think what's also interesting, Gree and I were talking about this, and um, in Hebrews 11, Sarah shows up. Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So we're told that she does believe. But I think it was an eventual belief, because we see right here in the passage that initially she doesn't believe. But eventually she does. Now let me ask this question. What affects whether or not we believe? Okay, if someone comes and, and tells you something, what affects whether or not you believe them? Let me hear some responses. If it comes true, okay, what else? Past performance, okay. Who the person is, sure. Others? Trust? Mm-hmm. Sure, how crazy the promise is, right? If you come up and tell me, Ben, you can fly home. <laughs> Going to have a hard time, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things that go into whether or not we believe something. But, you know, I think there's one thing that's really key. That's really, really key. And that is the source. So, who said it? What affects whether or not we believe? I think the source is key. I go to a lot of graduations, about four every year. Not necessarily just because I like them, but uh, I like the people that are graduating. So I go and cheer them on. And uh, you kind of wait for those quotes, you know, those, okay, which quote are you going to use? This one, this one, this one. There's kind of like 10 or 15 different quotes that are used, you know, that kind of cycle through at the graduations. So I was at uh, William's graduation on Friday and heard one that I had heard a few times before. Uh, the quote is, if you can dream it, you can do it. Okay? Now, it's a nice quote. Let's consider the source. Walt Disney hey, okay, I understand that. Yeah, sure, Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. He had a dream, and, and he accomplished some amazing things, right? I mean, he's got this, this dynasty now. And uh, I understand the use of the word dream, you know, because that's kind of part of the whole Disney magic thing. Now, what if it, it went like this? If you can dream it, you can do it. Ralph Nader. Changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Ralph Nader lost presidential election like three times. Anyways, but it, it changes the quote. Well, it doesn't change the content, but it changed the believability. And uh, I mean, think back to our Corvette, right? Corvette is an amazing car. If you're told the Corvette is an amazing car by a Chevy dealer, well, of course they're going to say that. But if you're standing at a Ford dealership and one of them says, you know what? You should really drive away in a Corvette. Go down the street, pick one up over there. Now, all of a sudden, it, it, it makes the Corvette kind of glimmer a little bit more. Whoa, I didn't expect that from him. The source totally changes things. 
Let me ask you this question just to kind of chew on a little bit. Is there someone in your life that if they were being serious, you would believe them regardless of what they say? It doesn't matter what they come up and tell me. If they're being serious, I knew they were being straight with me, I would totally believe them. Now, the number of people in your life that have that ability should be very, very small. But there's, someone in, uh, there's a couple people in my life that's that way. Now let's take a look at Sarah. What affected Sarah's belief? Now, some would argue that her disbelief was caused by her circumstances. You know, she's been going so long without children that, uh, you know, she goes, there's just no way. Or the absurdity of the promise. <laughs> That's impossible. Of course I'm not going to believe it. But you know what? Abraham was in the same circumstances. He'd been walking with Sarah through this whole thing, waiting for a kid, waiting for a kid, waiting for a kid, nothing. And Abraham heard exactly the same promise, the exact same ridiculous promise of, hey, you're going to have a kid through Sarah. But see, Abraham believed, and Sarah didn't. So I would say that Sarah's hesitance was rather due to the source. But Ben, the, the source is the same. It's from God both times. But see, I think what's key is the relationship with the source. What was Sarah's relationship with God like versus Abraham's relationship with God? See, and I would say that relationship plays a larger role than expertise in believing something. How about American Idol, right? Relationship plays a larger role than expertise in believing someone. All these people get up there, belt out and sing, I am a great singer. And they're told by three professionals in the industry, you're horrible. And do they believe them? No. They're, they're off their rocker. There's no way. I'm a fantastic singer. All of my friends and family, like they love to hear me sing. I'm a great singer. So they believe their friends and family more than they do these three judges because there's a relationship there. Of course I believe them. See, belief has to be earned. Remember my promise? You're getting sick of this now, aren't you? I've got to get up to five times, though. Uh, at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you a treat. And for most of you, it'll be something you will enjoy. Did you believe me? Some of you did because you think I'm a pretty trustworthy guy. Now, some of you didn't because you don't think I'm trustworthy. And again, totally okay. That's fine. I've had to work hard for people to believe me. Now, see... Here's the thing. I look at Abraham, and he had a great track, re track record with God. He, uh, he had been given opportunities to believe multiple times. Abraham, I want you to believe me. Abraham, I want you to believe me. Abraham, we're going we're to go here. We're going to do this. I want you to just get up, and I want you to, to be obedient. And Abraham has done that multiple times and seen the faithfulness of God. And he knows, okay, God is worth believing in because I've seen his track record. Right? I've seen him be faithful time and time again, so I know when God tosses out this ridiculous thing that, of course, he's going to follow through because he's followed through in the past. But Sarah, I imagine, didn't have as good of a track record. She had a hard time believing. Now, should we blame that on her not having as many opportunities to believe as Abraham? Well, that's not fair. She, you know, God wasn't calling her to do all these crazy things. But see, she was right there with Abram through everything coming alongside of him, getting to see the goodness of God 
through Abraham. She's gotten to see his faithfulness. And I think this is really key, in that we need to see that God is worth believing. But it doesn't have to be our own story. A lot of people sit around and say, well, I'll believe God when he does this and this for me. I'll believe that God is trustworthy, but I need to see it first. But see, you can see it through other people. I want to tell you a little bit about my sister, Becky. This is my sister and uh, her husband, my brother-in-law, Marty. A few years ago, well, both uh, Becky and Marty have uh, chronic illnesses. He has diabetes and she has Crohn's disease. And so from the get-go, they were told, you're not going to get pregnant. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. The chances are super, super slim. Well, they got pregnant. They had a little boy. And, uh, you know, they said, man, we love our kid and we want to have another one. So they tried and tried and couldn't get pregnant. Actually went in and, and met with a fertility specialist. The fertility specialist gave them kind of a timeline and said, okay, within the next month, we're going to start treatment. Well, before they started treatment, they got pregnant. And I think that was God just saying, you know, I'll take credit for this one too. Thanks. That was me. That wasn't any fertility, anything, you know, this was me. This was all me. So they got pregnant. Becky was uh, in town visiting us, uh, had a pain in her abdomen, went into the ER and they said, oh, we think you strained a muscle. And uh, she goes, okay, comes home, rests. Next day, the pain is still there and it's not going away. And so she goes back into the ER, and after running a bunch of tests, one doctor says, I think I know what happened. Because you have Crohn's disease, Crohn's disease is an inflammation of the intestines. It, infects, uh, it affects the entire body. But he says, I think because of the amount of pain that you're in, uh, one of your intestines very well may have ruptured. But there's no way we can know that without going in and having, doing surgery. She said, there's, there's no way. I'm four and a half months pregnant. You're not going to do surgery on my abdomen when I'm four and a half months pregnant. The doctor said, well, okay, we could skip the surgery. Well, here's your options. We do the surgery, and uh, there's a risk that you could lose your kid. We could not do the surgery, and there's a risk that we could lose both of you. So she said, okay, let's do the surgery. And uh, I celebrated the new year coming in, in the ER, um, or in the, in the waiting room, as she was in, in surgery. Now, what's kind of cool is uh, hearing afterwards, uh, she's in the midst of surgery, and throughout the whole surgery, the babies kick in and push in and like, get out of here, leave me alone, this is my space, you know, go away. She pulled through, the surgery was a success, and a little while later, they took some photos. I love this one, because right there is the scar. And she wanted to have that in her photos to show, like, this, this credit goes to God going through. And through the whole time, she was trusting him, and, and Marty was trusting God, and just believing, like, God was going to pull through. And in April of that year, they had their second little boy. His name? Lucas Isaac. And that middle name was no mistake. And he's a crazy three-year-old at this point and doing well. And I tell you this story just to say, look, God is faithful. God is worth believing in, totally worth believing in. But see, the challenge sometimes is that we wait for our own experience to say, okay, well, I need to go through something so that I'll believe in God. Man, grab onto some of these other stories. 
grab on and, and listen to people and know that God is good by seeing it in their life as well as in your own. So I ask you this question. Do you believe? Sarah was asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? So right now, in the quietness of your own heart, I would ask you just to ponder that question yourself. Let me just have a moment for us to just sit and talk with God, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, sometimes it's easy to know in our head that you are worth believing in. But it's challenging to really come and and know it in our heart. God, there is nothing that is too hard for you. But sometimes we have a, a difficult time believing that because we just haven't spent the time with you that we need to, that we haven't really gotten to know you and know how worth believing in you are. God, please continue to draw us to yourself so that we can really know that you are worth believing in. And God, that we can put our entire hope, our entire faith, and our entire belief in you. Amen.